what pops up a beer or a cold libation Let me tell you how I wrote this little theme I went and took a call from brother Jason And he tells me that he has a little dream He says he needs a backwards intro to begin his podcast And I ask him what you got He said I'll start off with some talking And some moody clips of popcorn fighting Fantasy explorations and some groundness exploitation Kickstarts that I'm watching and some blind unboxing Full month horror movie marathon Sometimes I'll let the dogs come on Contest and of course you know it's all about games I said slow down let's just start with the name It's the Nerds RPG Variety Podcast With the other Jason Welcome back to Nerds RPG Variety Cast. I'm your host Jason. Today I've got a short show for you. A few unboxings, a few phone calls, gaming recap. Also a reminder that you're up against the deadline to turn in an entry for the bad movie contest. I should apologize for the audio. I'm recording in the car, running some errands. Even though I'm on vacation, I'm not getting nearly as much done as I'd like to. And, you know, one thing leads to another. I was going to fire up the computer. I'm doing this whole episode on the phone. I was going to fire the computer up. TJ Drennan was the GM for the session that I played in that I'll be talking about and he had some music that went with it and I was going to play that music with you know my review of the game or my gaming recap but you know overlaid over the music put all that together but you know I, I just I'm not going to do that now I just what Gadget got sick one of the dogs got sick today and I think she's okay I think she's had an upset tummy sometimes she'll eat too fast and then she'll throw up but we've been kind of dealing with her and some other things. I, I just don't feel like taking a laptop out and messing with it. So what I'm going to do is I'll do the review. Or, or review, I keep calling it review. I'll do the gaming recap, and then I'll close the show out with the music. It's it's like a minute and a half piece of music. I'll put that, that little piece of mood music that TJ did for that game. So without further ado... Let's get into the body of the show. Unboxing. I have a package here from Lightning Source. I think we all know what that means. I don't think I need my um, Swiss Army knife to open it. No, I didn't. It was barely even sealed. Look at that. Well, maybe a little better sealed. Let's see what we have in here. I think... Oh, here we go. So this is, I I've had I have these on digital, but I wanted to go ahead and get the the hard copies before all the printing went to hell. So we have Hobomancer, Hobomancer Companion, and Suicide's Run: A Tale of the Hobomancers, which is actually uh, basically a novel set in the Hobomancer world. Of course, these are by Hex Games, and Hobomancer is a RPG, and it, you know, it, it used the Quags system, the quick-ass game system, and it is actually pretty, from, from what I've looked at, I really like Quags as a, as a game. It, well, in theory, I like it. I've never run it, but it's one of the light systems I really like. It looks like it really lends itself to creative characters 
and kind of loose, fast, fun role-playing. I'll have to do a review of Quags at some point. And, and, th- and I'll do a full review maybe of all the Hobomancer stuff at some point as well. Although, if you want a hobo role-playing game, you can just dive right into Knights of the Road over on HIO is the easiest one to dive into because it's just a couple of small pamphlets. Hobomancer is a lot more in-depth. You know, the base book is 153 pages. Like I say, the system is super simple. There's just a ton of background material in here you can use. There's spells. There, there's all kinds of stuff in here. Um, the art is pretty decent. It's kind of cartoony. It's a mixture of pictures and cartoons, but um, pretty cool. And like I say, Suicide's Run is just a novel, and then the Hobomancer Companion is, is actually kind of small for the price. I forget what I paid for it, but it's only 40 pages. But um, it's obviously just more things to use with Hobomancer. Um, just more information, um, more monsters, more lore, things like that. And and it's got an adventure in there. So if I'm going to run it, if people want to sign up for a Hobo game at some point, maybe I'll just run the, the adventure right out of here since I doubt too many people are going to own Hobomancer unless they run out and buy it just you know, to play in the game because they want to know the scenario ahead of time. Um, Joe Rector's encountered players like that before. Anyhow, I just wanted to say that I got these, and, yeah, we'll have to do a Hobo Mancer review at some point. But that's my unboxing. I will have one more, well, more than one more unboxing, but I did order a couple other things at the last minute before drive throughs Prices went up at the beginning of the month, so... When those arrive, I'll do the unboxing of those. But that's all I have for today's unboxing. Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Who's on the phone? Well, maybe it's your auntie or a joke by your spouse, but the operator's screaming is coming from inside the house. Hi, Jace. Just listening to Arlen talking about failing forward and success at cost. I fully support the inclusion of these mechanisms in RPGs. But listening at this deep cut, it does occur to me, I wonder how often people that get into games and that get so deep that they think, you know what, maybe it might be easier to just... Uh, take up fencing or kendo or martial arts or go kayaking on a local river um, to kind of experience something that's way closer to the the actual business of whatever it is that they're interested in. You know, things like HEMA, um, even live RPGs. You don't hear too much about this and it kind of intrigues me. Anyway... Take care. I'll catch you later. That was Colin Green of the Spike Pit RPG podcast. And I think that's a a very good point. You know, there was a time when RPG writers made a point, and they may still do it in some of the games. They made a point of saying, you know, hey, I'm basing this on my life experience. I've gone out and done this. I was in the, you know, the SCA, the Society for Creative Anachronism, or, you, you know, I did HEMA and 
but while if you look at like um, Riddle of Steel, you, you know those style games, or well, RuneQuest, you, you know, was built with some ideas, you know, coming from like SCA Combat, right? So I, I think there's something to that. And in fact, you even had was it Cinnabar, the world of Cinnabar, the you know, where it was the the world ship and it had everybody had thousands and tens of thousands of hit points. That was like a '90s thing. But the the writer of that had said, you know, if you look at his blurb there, he goes, you know, you know, I'm, um, you, you know, I can write this RPG and you can trust it's realistic because I've shotguns and I've done sword fighting and I've, you know, ridden motorcycles and climbed mountains and, you know, saying he's done all this stuff, so he's now qualified to write a, a game. And, and I don't know if that necessarily qualifies you to write a game, but I think there's something to getting out there and experiencing it. And I think we see that when we see some of these arguments of player skill versus character skill and having to divorce yourself from the world. Because if you know how things work and then, you know, when you're in a game and other players say, oh, I'm just going to do X, Y, and Z, which is what they do on a TV show that doesn't work in real life. You know, if you have knowledge of how that really works, then you have to kind of compartmentalize that and just accept you're playing in a cinema world, not in the real world. Right. But I, I think that's an interesting point. And I do think if, you know, definitely RPGs are an escape for some folks and, and for some folks, you know, they can't get out there and do things for various reasons, whether it's, you know, age, physical limitations, um, just monetary reasons. Although there's a lot of ventures you can do without any money, but there'd be, you know, because of family obligations, whatever, there are people that can't get away to, to do some of these things. And, so RPGs are how they experience it. And, and I'm def, I definitely don't want to come across as saying those people are wrong or those people should get out and do it anyway. But I, I do think there's an interesting idea there that, you, you, you know, as we try to say, this is what a sword fight's probably really like. Well, if that kind of thing really interests us, then maybe we should go out and check out, you know, the local chapter and, and get in some some combats using, you know, with SCA with rutan weapons or, you know, Hemi uses what they use. Um, I think they actually use steel, just, just dull weapons. Right. But, um, but get, get out and check that out. You, you know, if you're interested in that and you have the ability to do that, then there, there's something to that. So, uh, and especially as things are opening up now in some areas, although, you know, with the resurgence of different variants of COVID things are shutting down some places again, but, yeah, I, I don't think you need to experience things real world to appreciate them, but but I definitely think it would increase increase your depth as a player or a game master to do that. Not to mention your depth as a human being to get out and do real experiences as opposed to you you know just the gaming table. But, but again, that's not taking away the what the gaming table provides people. That that's their only outlet. But we have another call about Harlan's um, hostile takeover of my show. So let's turn the mic over to Daniel, the Bandits Keep podcast and YouTube channel. Hey, Jason, Daniel from Bandits Keep, uh, listening to the episode with Arlen. Uh, lots of really cool information here and, and actually very helpful. The thing is, though, I feel like there's this, like, mindset in people that play these fail-forward games that, like, 
the player characters not being able to that they're there when they fail at something you can't keep the thing the progress going and i think that's actually a myth i, I mean people fail all the time and then figure out another way around i don't have to as the gm hand them a solution i think that's part of being a good player is figuring that out so i don't know i think these kind of games hold people's hands too much in a little bit um and i do get that it's nice that it's in the rule set but i don't think it's 100 percent necessary though it is an interesting way to think about uh, gaming so that was daniel's thoughts if i didn't mention it uh colin with spike pit has a youtube channel as well as a podcast so definitely check out both their youtube channels daniel actually has a separate actual play channel and a like rpg commentary or advice or you know where he puts out little blogs on rpgs he has a separate channel to do that but Honestly, I'm more in Daniel's camp here as far as this stuff goes. The older I get, the more I tend towards lighter games. And and I kind of think that with the failing forward and... I don't know. I, I don't think there's necessarily anything wrong with it per se. But I, I don't know that it's needed either. Um, if people find those rules helpful, then I... You know, in the advice section, if nothing else reading through those and, and having the advice sections and how to do those kind of things, even if you don't include those rules in your game, you can still call on that as you're running your game. So if you're more of a, you know, rulings over rules and you don't do failing forward and you don't have these other kind of mechanisms in your game, but at some point you want to incorporate that in there, having read the rule system of Dungeon World, having read, you know, the advice sections and all that, could help you as a GM creatively. So, so there is an advantage there, but I kind of fall into Daniel's camp that I don't necessarily know that these, these mechanisms are necessary in games by any means. Um, but, but I think, I, I do not think you'll be a worse GM for reading about them. That's for sure. Unboxing time. We've got another box from lightning source. This one is of indeterminate size. It says the size limit is 75 inches. So there you go. Uh, let's see what's in it. Uh, I did another unboxing that didn't record well. Oh, okay, I got this one open. Let's see what we have. Hmm. Packing sheet says Eldritch Tales Lovecraftian White Box Role Playing. This is, of course, Joe Salvador's OSR Lovecraftian game set in the 20s. It's a very good system. You can hear Colin Green review it over on the Spike Pit RPG, and that review is also up on his YouTube channel. So this book is actually, I don't know, I guess it's like textbook size. It's not quite full, you know, full page size. It's maybe 8 by 10 Maybe a little bit smaller than that, five by seven, something like that. Um, and it's it's actually very nice. It's hardcover. So again, I ordered a bunch of stuff before they um, upped all the prices. But yeah, it's a very nice book. The art inside is very nice. Line drawings, nice line drawings. Um, you know, the book is two hundred and twenty-one pages. Well, that's including the open game license. Not counting the open game license and the character sheet at the back, it is 215 pages ending at the bibliography. So, 
Yeah, I actually have not played this game. I have read it. I've got it in PDF, and I um, am a, a big fan. If you want to do an OSR Lovecraftian game, I, I think this is a really good way to do it. If you want a light system to do Lovecraftian games, Cthulhu Hacks works well. Professor Dungeon Master's game looks okay. I, you might have to be a patron to get a copy of that. But to be honest, I think Cthulhu Dark does as good as anything. But but if you want more rules intensive with skill rolls, things like that, then Elder Trails, I think, is definitely the way to go. And, and this book here, you know, it's got great Cthulhu coming out, at, you know, out of the water over top of ship. Here on the cover, it's in green and, and black and white. It's really pr great art on the cover. On the back is um, kind of like drawings from the Call of Cthulhu. You, you know, there's drawings of the statue and things like that on the back. It's kind of a yellowish-brown color. Um, and it's got a note on the Cthulhu cult, so it's like, you know, handouts from the story Call of Cthulhu. Very cool. Of course, Raven Guide Games puts this out. It's a um, compatible game with Swords and Wizardry, a hack of Swords and Wizardry, obviously brought up to the 1920s. And, yeah, hi highly recommended. Session recap. TJ Drennan of the Melodious Miasma Meltdown podcast. Actually, he's had a few podcasts over the years. Um, but we'll, we'll just leave that one as the podcast. He, he doesn't currently have a active podcast and he used to have a patreon which isn't active any longer where he would provide music up podcasters could use and you know he did the intro outro music and the, the song i play before my callings for me which i'm very grateful for and he did the mu he's done the music for a lot of the podcasters he, he also used to be pretty heavily engaged in the audio dungeon discord he's kind of moved out of that community at the moment, not away from the people per se, but just not on that particular discord at the moment. Um, but he was one of the very active people in Cody Mazo's Baramaze game when we played that a couple of years ago. And we had a whole lot of fun with that. He, he was actually in that inaugural session that Dave Alder trained on the Black Hack too. Low that was many eons ago um, where <laughs> TJ played a fighter, but he played a pacifist. So he, um, and, and so he never actually struck a blow during that game, but he was actually amazingly effective. It's, it, it's very interesting how well he played that character and how well he still supported everybody else and was useful in the combats and everything else without actually ever striking a blow. Um, he did a really great job, but anyhow, TJ is a great guy, very creative fella. And he ran Troika. And we had a bunch of people signed up, and then they slowly dropped like flies. And the last one to drop was was actually Cody Mazza, who ran that Veramaze Maze game, who has the um, uh, what's his podcast? Shoot, um, I forget the name of Cody's podcast at the moment. Probably because Cody hasn't updated it for a long time. Come on, Cody, you're slacking. Anyway, C Cody was supposed to be in it, but then he unfortunately slept in and missed it which I can't talk because I was supposed to be in a game of Warlock last week, and I slept through that. So I, I have, you know, I, I can't give Cody any heck for that. Cody's podcast is No Save For You. So his old episodes are still up. Go check out No Save For You podcast as well. But anyway, so the only people that ended up playing 
were myself and Spencer or Free Thrall of Keep Off the Borderlands podcast. And so we, Troika, of course, is always a, a weird and wonderful game. And this was no exception. Troika, as you know, is, or as you may know, is heavily based on advanced fighting fantasy, even though they don't necessarily acknowledge that in the book. Um, and I won't go into details into that. You can go to Purple Worm or go to other places and read the, all the hate and discontent over whether Troika acknowledges where, where it got its inspiration from. But that's neither here nor there because, you know, whether you call it advanced fighting fantasy, actually, I think Troika is a little bit simpler than the full advanced fighting fantasy rules. It's more somewhere between fighting fantasy and advanced fighting fantasy, to be honest. But in the end, Troika is a lot of fun. So we rolled up characters and we, we did it randomly because that's always the most fun. TJ had made up some special characters and things for this game. So I'll just read you what we got. Um, Spencer rolled up a sky pilot. And here's the description of that character. The power of the goddess feeds you. Your vessel between the spheres is a cathedral. You steer this boat from one knee as you bask in her radiance. She is the solar wind at your back, and you will convert the spheres one after another to her will and way. You are a missionary. You carry the word. His possessions are the Miracle Engine Star Cathedral, spaceship, the Star of Alisar, implanted in his forehead, a knee pad, a grim gray tunic, armor one, a decahedron, a do how do you say that? Dodecahedron star map and the staff of the goddess. And he had skills in navigation, preach, pilot, torture, interrogate, language, old, Elysian, a dead language, and um, staff combat. So, as you might hear in the background, the dogs are doing a little bit better. And I'll talk a little more how we develop that through play. As you can hear, Gadget seems to be feeling a little better, so that's good. I, I rolled up a Nandrajian engineer, a nine-tentacle starship technician. You weren't made for the stars, but the stars are made for you. And I had a Nanaganian spanner, a Dorwickian wrench, a Tavanian crab bat, the pet, not the weapon, a Tavanian crab bat, the weapon, not the pet, a case of tech manuals, which I dragged behind me. And my skills are mechanic, tech, binge, canker ball, goal fender, Tongues slap and devour. So how do you put all this together into something that works? Well, we talked about it. We decided that I would be kind of like the main engineer, the Scotty to his Captain Kirk, I guess. And we talked a little bit about what the tenets of the... Of course, being nine-tentacled Starship technician, I kind of figured I was some kind of like slightly more evolved octopus. Um, but and, and then the bat... We, we determined later through the adventure the bat effectively was trained about like a falcon. So it would land on, on one of my tentacles and they could launch it like a falcon. It could do simple things. It couldn't necessarily um, communicate. I don't know. Do we have a communicate? I don't think it ever communicated. Oh, I know how it communicated. I, I had, we, we, we decided I had made up little steel covers, sharp steel covers to put over its claws that it could tap together, kind of like a tap dancer, and it could do Morse code to communicate to me. And um, then it could kind of fly around, kind of like the owl in Clash of the Titans. Um, 
but so that was that was a lot of fun. Is but is but basically I was technician to so I was Scotty to his Captain Kirk. We had to decide what the tenets of this religion were, and, and I kind of butted in a little bit. Spencer, you know, talked about how well spreading everybody needs to to follow the goddess and be saved because the spheres would, you know, eventually something would show up at each of the spheres and judge them, and those that weren't followers of the goddess would be judged harshly. And then I made a reference to the um. I forget what they're called now, but I remembered it during the game. But the, you, you know, in um, Chronicles of Riddick, the, the necromongers, the bad guys in Chronicles of Riddick that would go planet to planet. And I, I kind of made a reference to that. And seeing how Spencer had the, his priest had a had the torture and interrogate skill, and I had the devour skill, I kind of also mentioned that, well, you know, if we, we land, you know, if we happen to dock with another ship and we talk to them and they don't all convert. If one or two of them disappear, i.e. I devour them, then the whole percentage of people that are converted goes up. So that's better for him. And I think Spencer was a little uncomfortable with that, but he, he went along with it. But that didn't come into play during this adventure, although his converting people really did. So we started off on a planet and we had to pick up some kind of crystals think dilithium crystals off of Star Trek and we were on this planet and we had gotten the crystals done some horse trading did what we had to do and now we're on our way back and the only way back well there's two ways back there are teleporters and there's space cables and these space cables are these you know these tendrils that go all the way up into into the atmosphere and although we didn't discuss it I assume they go up and and they go up to like a a space station that's in geosynchronous orbit that's tethered to the ground by these cables. And there's an elevator that goes around the cable that goes up back and forth. It takes like a month to go from the planet side up to the up to the space station. And, and, and I don't know if there really is a, a space station up there because TJ never described that, but that's what I'm thinking right now. And then your ships would dock with the space station. But anyway, so you can either be teleported or you go up that way. This was a, re a really heavy planet. The gravity was very strong on this planet. So while we did take a shuttle down, we couldn't bring the shuttle back. So we kind of discussed that maybe we traded the shuttle for these crystals because the shuttle was useful for planet-side transportation. Of course, we wouldn't want to be transported because, like in Star Trek, you die when you're transported. You, you know, the first time you're transported, that kills you, and then it's just a replica of you that appears wherever the transporter sends you. So really, you're only a copy of a copy of a copy in Star Trek. So, you know, once somebody goes through the transport in Star Trek, they're, you know, if they had a soul that they don't anymore because they died and they're just a copy. And at some point, they're going to be an inferior copy of themselves. I don't know the Star Trek lore officially supports that, but that's, you know, what's really happening in Star Trek. That's the official canon, even if they won't admit it. Anyhow, let me get away from Star Trek for a minute. So we, we go to the space cable, and, and, and eventually we get there, and we have adventures. We have adventures trying to get in. We have to do some horse trading to, to get seats on the cable, and we're among the, the crowds waiting for the cable. And all of a sudden, somebody, this, this humanoid gentleman, blind humanoid gentleman, whoops a, some kind of weapon, some, some kind of futuristic assault weapon out from under his cloak and starts firing at a family. 
and everybody's horrified. They start moving back. Of course, these are all kinds of weird aliens all over. Oh, well, let me back up for a minute. Before that happened, we were kind of going, we had some time to kill because we we're waiting for the elevator to come down. And the only people on the ground were people waiting to get on the elevator and then maybe some vendors were down there. But I think all the vendors were probably waiting to get on the elevator as well. Um, so we were going around handing out pamphlets for, you know, this, for the princess, for, you know, Spencer's religion. And my character's also asking if there were ball fields on the, on the ship. Because if you remember, I, I was a canker ball player, which we, we kind of figured out how canker ball works and the rules of that game. But so I wanted to, I, my, to be honest, my technician isn't so much a, a firm believer in the religion that the pilot, you know, he, he's spreading. He just gives it lip service, but he gets to eat somebody every now and then, and he, and he enjoys working on the ship. So it works for his goals. So so he's kind of like talking to people about the tank and then, oh, you want one of these pamphlets? Here you go. Where Spencer is really laying on thick. And he was actually doing a really good job of converting. He was doing a good job of converting. Yeah, I think he converted like half a dozen people, or maybe nine people, you know, as we're going. So he, he was doing a good job converting people. But then all of a sudden this guy whips out this weapon. And says, it's enough. Go on. Okay. So. This guy's firing the family. Nobody's doing anything. So we have to get involved. Well, we don't have to. We have a choice. But we decide to get involved. Because, as Spencer said, you know, there's a great opportunity to convert people. Right? So we... The opening blow... Now, the way initiative works here in Troika, or at least the way we played it, I, I, I haven't re-looked at the rules, but I this sounds right to my mind, is you, you put chits in for everybody in a bag, and you have an end-of-turn chit, and then you draw them randomly to see who goes, what order they go. Well, my character came up first. We were a little bit far from this guy that's firing, so I chucked my wrench at him and hit him and got his attention. It didn't hurt him too bad, but it got this guy's attention. Maybe got him to stop shooting his family for a second. And then, well, so we go through combat and effectively we end up defeating this guy. Spencer doing most of the heavy work. At one point, it wasn't looking too good for Spencer, but I had, I had this other, the spanner, and I spent a turn, we, we talked about how the spanner was a force spanner that would, could, could use, you, you know, like energy to, to adjust bolts and things at a distance. But this guy was too far away. So I spent a turn with my tech skills, increasing the power of it. And then I used it to drop the magazine or the, the battery or whatever powered this weapon. I used to manipulate the magazine release effectively, drop the magazine out of his weapon. And um, and Spencer ended up finishing him off. Which, and, and the followers got involved. And at one point, he'd shot a, a grappling hook over the wall, and he was going to escape. And, the, and my pet bat clipped the rope with, with his the sharpened, you, you know, the, the covers on his claws. So all in all, it was, it was pretty fun. But but Spencer's priest is one that actually got in there and physically get, traded blows and, and took some damage in the process. So...
but we defeat him. And then the elevator hits the ground and the, you know, authorities come out of the elevator and they take him into custody and they upgrade our seats to a higher level seat, which is great. And Spencer actually hands him a pamphlet and with an incredible role, he converts like the commissar or whatever the, the guy in charge of the, the police force there on the ground was, and he converted him. So he, Spencer's well on his way to, to creating his own little cult here, and, and he'll be able to convert hopefully the whole space elevator by the time we get done this month's journey. But um, so we anyway we get we get in the elevator and the, the slow journey starts and we we kind of went around did some investigating and and before the end of the session we found out that the family who's being shot at are mappers and the um. The guy that did the firing was a terrorist, but he was an any, I forget what the term TJ used, Spencer will remember, maybe he'll talk about this on his podcast. He was an any mapper, okay? So he, they didn't believe you should map the universe. They believe all maps should be destroyed. And, and that, you know, ignorance is bliss kind of thing. So, but Spencer, you know, ended up converting this mapping family too, with the idea that, you know, it's important to have a map because that way you know when, judgment's going to come to each planet, you know, where all the planets are and who's been judged already and all this. So that's kind of where we ended it. But it, it was a really interesting session. And hopefully we'll get some people to join us for the next one. Um, but all in all, it was, it was a lot of fun. I mentioned TJ had some music, and I'm going to play that here in a minute. But before I end the episode, I want to thank my two callers. I want to thank Colin and Daniel. I also want to thank Arlen again for sending all those calls to provide in my last episode. I, I think there's some interesting food for thought in there. And I recommend you go check out Arlen's latest episode, which is entitled, is it Bone Crunch, I think? Um, I'm looking for it right now, very slowly. You ever notice things are slow when you're trying to look for them? Anyhow, Arlen's latest episode is called bone crunch that's 2.214 and in that he talks about combat mechanisms and he also makes a pretty heavy case against rulings over rules so i kind of recommend you check out his episode of bone crunch and um give him some feedback on that but I, again i want to thank the call, all the callers i want to thank all you my listeners i thank tj drennan not only for running troika but for the wonderful music you hear today on this podcast. And I thank, thank Ray Otis, great guy who did the art for my podcast. So that coffee cup pouring there, Ray, Ray did that art for me. And I really, really appreciate it. So next episode, which will probably come out on the 15th, will be, I will announce the winner of the Bad Movie Contest. So if you hear this in time, you can still call your entry in. If you miss the contest and call an entry in, I'll still play it, by the way. I'll play it, you know, after it. But to be in the running for that $20 drive-through RPG gift card, you have to get me the, you know, the entry no later than the 14th of July. Okay, folks, that's it. I'm going to now play that music, and that'll play us out instead of the standard outro that TJ does. Um, this music is what was basically the background music when we first saw the cable and saw this, this thin, long cable, you know, going up into the sky and up beyond our vision, you know, up, up to the outer atmosphere.